Um, sorry, I do need, oh, wait, I think I finally got, so I have to, so Pete has a second monitor now, and I couldn't figure out how to get the mouse to where I needed it. Okay, we're good. It's so fancy. listening to Love Ya, your guided tour through the wide, wide world of streaming teen cinema and romantic comedies. I am your co-host, Martha Sullivan, adult library manager and professional guinea pig wrangler, and I am here with my other co-host. I'm Marin Hagman, adult services librarian and rom-com enthusiast. Uh, and today, we are going to be discussing the 2020, I think. I think this was a twenty end of 2020 drop. December 2020. Uh, yes. Netflix, Ryan Murphy production, The Prom. Uh, Marin, would you like to give us a synopsis? Oh, I'm going to remember this at the top of the episode. Pete's going to be so <laughs> proud of me. This episode will contain spoilers for the Netflix original movie, The Prom. If you have not seen it yet, I highly, and you, and you want to, I highly recommend that you go and watch it and then come back and listen to our episode because we are going to get into all of the dirty details. <laughs> With uh, that out of the way in the proper place for once in my podcasting life. Marin, would you like to give us a synopsis of The Prom? Sure. Um, so The Prom is directed by Ryan Murphy and was adapted um, by Chad, I'm gonna mispronounce his name, Bajulin, um, and Bob Martin. Um, and it was adapted from the musical that they co-wrote in 2018 with Matthew Scholar. Um, it stars Meryl Streep, James Corden, Nicole Kidman, um, Keegan-Michael Key, um, Joe Ellen Pellman, um, and Carrie Washington. Um, it is the story of a group of Broadway actors, um, who, um, after two of them participating in a musical version of The Life of Eleanor Roosevelt that fails spectacularly, um, they combined forces with a struggling Broadway actor slash, um, bartender um played by or trent um played by andrew rannells um and angie dickinson another struggling broadway actress played by nicole kidman um they discover uh from twitter um oh and i should probably introduce our actual t- main two characters um Dee Dee allen played by meryl streep and barry glickman played by james corden they are the two in the eleanor roosevelt um so this team of four um Discover on Twitter the story of a um, high schooler in Indiana named Emma Nolan um, who uh, wanted to bring, who is a lesbian, and wanted to bring a girl to um, her high school prom. And the PTA of her high school prom, or of her high school in response, um, canceled the prom. So, these Broadway actors barge into the PTA meeting, which is led by Carrie Washington playing Mrs. Green. Um, So, they barge themselves in there trying to, like, rally to Emma's cause. um, And, um, you know, have the the prom be an inclusive one. Um, we discover that Emma, the girl Emma wants to bring to prom and is secretly dating, is actually Mrs. Green's daughter, Alyssa, um, who is closeted. Um, so the actors kind of find themselves, you know, going around the town, meeting the townspeople, um, including the high school principal, Tom Hawkins, played by Keegan-Michael Key. Um, Hawkins, um, is working with, I think it was the ACLU, um, to, to help Emma have this inclusive prom. It also turns out that Mr. Hawkins is a huge Broadway nerd and is obsessed with Dee Dee. Um, and so they go on, like, a little dinner date. Um, and then, so this, so this inclusive prom gets set up, but it turns out to be a prank, well, 
basically a prank. Um, and so Emma goes to this prom that's meant to be inclusive and she was the only one there. They basically set up this whole other prom at a country club and, um, excluded Emma, um, and, and kind of lied to say that she would get this inclusive prom. Um, so the actors try to comfort Emma, um, and Dee Dee, um, you know, is urged to call her ex-husband to, um, have Emma go on his show. Her ex-husband is this really famous talk show host. Um, and so Dee Dee gives up her house in the Hamptons, um, to get Emma on this talk show. Instead, Emma declines to go on the talk show, but she writes this beautiful song, um, that gets live streamed and goes viral. Um, meanwhile, Trent, um, talks to a bunch of the high schoolers and, and persuades them to support Emma. Um, and then finally all the actors come together to host a, a real inclusive prom. Um, or a couple side plots I'm missing here. Um, Mr. Hawkins. We'll get into them. Yeah. We'll get into them. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but yeah, long story short, Ends with everyone at prom. Alyssa comes out to her mother, um, and she and Emma get to dance together at prom. <sighs> okay, I'm getting exhausted just going through all of the plot points of this movie. I was gonna say you, you have done a very thorough job, and I think anything you missed, we will, we are about to get into. Yeah. So don't sweat it. <laughs> <sighs> this movie's a lot. It is. Um, initial thoughts. Yeah. So I will say, um, I was dismayed to discover how much the music has earwormed itself into my head. Um, I, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, Um, Because one of my big problems with it was that I did not find the music to be all that catchy. Oh, I did. Um, and I did, so I, I missed the original Broadway cast reporting when it first came out. Um, so I've been listening to some of that too. Um, but yeah, I, I, my initial kind of reaction was to get a lot of the songs stuck in my head. Um, I think, so my, my overarching thesis on this movie is that it very much makes me miss the theater experience, um, because I could see how this play would be very charming, um, in person in a theater. Um, and I think Ryan Murphy was somewhat trying to recreate that experience. There are a lot of directorial nods towards being in the theater, um, the opening sequence, it's, it's like a heightened reality made to look like being in a theater. Um, so I think, I think that part of the problem is that because it is such a theatrical, like the text is so theatrical and, and it's, it's, he did not put enough work in how to translate it from a stage theater medium, um, it just ends up like feeling almost more like a stage production than a movie. Martha, what did you think? Um, so I, after that first opening number with Meryl Streep and James Corden singing about their Broadway debut, I was like, oh, I'm going to hate this movie. I really disliked that opening number. And I'm, I've been going back and forth about this in my head because I will say I ended up liking it more than I thought I was going to. Okay. I got frustrated because about 75% of the time, I think they could have cut out the Broadway star story entirely and the movie would have been better for it. But every once in a while, it intersects with Emma's story in a way that it's like, oh no, this does need to be here. I just wish I'd felt that way the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that Ryan Murphy, and, and this goes back to when he was doing Glee, he's really good at a teen musical. <laughs> I don't know why, <laughs> but the high school setting, like he, 
the the heightened reality for the high school setting really worked for me um, because I feel like that's what teenagers feel like their high school reality is anyway. Mm. Like teens are already kind of working at a at a heightened reality. The going back and forth between the campiness of the Broadway stuff I thought was inconsistent. But then like I loved the relationship between Meryl Streep and Keegan Michael Key. Like that I thought was perfect. And I thought you got some really poignant moments with um Emma and uh, James Corden's character. Oh Barry? Uh, Barry. Barry? Yes. And I enjoyed the number between Emma and Nicole Kidman's Angie. Like they're basically when they're interacting directly with Emma, I'm like, all right, this is good. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then a lot of the stuff that happens on the fringes, it was kind of like, I don't. The, the Mixing the campiness in with the high school stuff didn't always work for me. Okay. Um, but I, I agree with you. I think the movie overall could have used a lot more of that mix of reality stuff. Like there are, a couple of numbers where we get sort of a com- it's very crazy ex-girlfriend where mm. the song will start an almost like dream sequence that plays like a musical and then you know you remember that you're in a uh, a high school principal's office or something <laughs> Um, and I wanted more of that I wanted more of like the big cinematic stuff um because you're right, when you are making a movie, you have a lot more latitude to play with what is possible in your set and like your effects and all of that. And I I wanted it to be bigger. Right. Like I feel like so often it was like, oh, well, this looks, I'm sure, exactly like the staging on Broadway did. Like there were many moments where I was like, oh, it seems like, I mean, I'd Certainly did not see this on Broadway, but, like, my guess would be you modified the, like, outline of the Broadway set and recreated it. And, yeah, I think there are, there are especially, like, the the end scene, the actual prom, like, the, the way that was set and staged, it just felt like they were singing to an audience on a stage. And... Well, and that one didn't bother me so much because it is taking place in reality. Like, that song is taking place. But I I think I wanted there to be more of a distinction drawn between the songs that take place in a fantasy and the songs that take place in reality. Sure. Yeah, and I think, well, and I guess I'm not opposed to them, like, having that campy, stagey feel, but, but... And I think we're kind of getting the same thing. But then you need to make it so outlandish that it provides that, like, transportation, that break from reality. Mm -hmm. um, That actually being in a theater and watching something. Like, you need that suspension of disbelief. You Oh, okay. I know what this is. It's the uncanny valley. It's getting too close. And so we need something that's either, like farther from reality like it's yeah it's just like in in between it's too in between it's the uncanny valley i actually one of the sequences that i thought did it very well was um trent's song in the mall that was great like that that is taking place in reality so i didn't need them to dress it up with like any extra glitz or whatever but it was also like, oh, right, this is a musical, so we're going to get everyone in this mall together. I don't think, you know what, I don't think the end prom scene bothered me as much as it did you. I actually, I think that that one was like, there is enough extra stuff happening in here that it doesn't, it no longer looks to me just like a dressed up gym. <laughs> sure. And I guess there were all, I guess overall it worked. There were just like moments where they were all like dancing in one direction. It was just like. This would be so cool in a theater and like, uh, and I guess you're right. It, it was kind of purposeful, I guess, in that instance, because they are like, 
that is the moment of like singing the message of the show to their audience but it just it made me wish that there was something more innovative happening there would have felt that way if other sequences had been more creatively innovative like do you think that the the prom scene would have stood out to you as much if we'd had more of the like when Dee Dee sings to the principal if yeah. we had more sequences like that yeah probably not because then it would like mirror the opening you know like because the opening seems very theater-y so yeah so if we'd had more time to like dive into this heightened reality and then like get more campy theatery um that probably would have worked more for me in those instances um i will say though actually for me the weakest number was nicole kidman's song that was i don't think I don't think that her voice is as strong. <laughs> yeah, and I think that was a big part of it. Yeah, that one. And it was also, the staging was really dark. And, um, yeah, that actually, of all the musical numbers, that was the one that worked least for me. Mm-hmm. Um, was the, the give it some zazz. Um, yeah, I, I, some of it definitely, I think, had to do with, with Nicole Kidman's voice. Um, but, yeah, but I think, again, like, if they had, you know, because clearly they were going for, like, a Fosse homage, and if they had, like, I think they kind of half went towards having Angie and Emma do a, like, Chicago Roxy Hart style, like, see, I think they should have gone all out and, like, like, Full on fantasy, put yes. them on a stage with a row of chorus girls. Exactly. Like, like, yeah. Put them in the Roxy Hart costume, have the big, like, blow up lights that say, like, Zazz or something, you know, like, mm-hmm. like, put them in a production of Chicago. <laughs> like, yes. that I think would have worked way better. So there's. A lot of material in this movie that is pretty sensitive. Um, how how do we think it handled Emma's story? Um, I think. I mean, I think Emma's story worked for me. It. I and I don't know how much of it is just Joe Ellen Pellman was very compelling. Um and so she just like brought me along with her, you know. I thought she was great. Um Yeah, I think well, and knowing that this was based on an actual real story, mm-hmm. um I think made me you know, this that that storyline seemed really grounded in reality to me. I will tell you the one part I I think Carrie Washington got off too easy because the fake prom stunt was so unbelievably cruel that it and it wasn't this kind of movie, but I was like someone has to answer for that. Like this is psychological torture for this 17-year-old girl. <laughs> like, this is horrible. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think that it was ever going to be that kind of movie, but I was a little bit like, I don't, I don't feel like we're fully addressing how deeply, deeply psychopathic doing that was. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think that, I mean, did you want to see her, like, resign as the president of the PTA, or, like, what, how, what form would you have liked that to take? Yeah, maybe, like, some kind of, some kind of mea culpa that, like, makes her acknowledge this was a horrible thing that I did. I don't feel like she ever acknowledges just how deeply awful that was 
I don't know. That didn't sit well with me. I also was not a super big fan of Meryl Streep calling James Corden's mom for him. Um, but I understand why that had to happen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I... You don't Can... agree with me on either of these, and that's fine. But I would love to hear your thoughts about them. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. This is where I'm coming from. So, A, and I'm trying to remember the exact choreography of... I feel like it was... I'm trying to remember the exact choreography of James Corden's mom coming... And, um, I, I think choreography of like, I think Meryl Streep called her, brought her there, but then gave him the option of she's here. Do you want to see her? I Um, mean, sort of. I was okay with that. She says she's here. Gonna go. Bye. So then James Corden is left with his mom in an empty hallway. And it's kind of like, what do you do? I don't know. That felt to me like forcing him to deal with something that he he was like we do find out that he was ready to deal with but it was it struck me as a very like this was not her decision to make for him yeah and again that's where like the distinction of i would have liked to have seen it more like she is in the other room i can bring you there or i can tell her to go home you know like like make it more of an active choice of like you can you can see her or not. And, like, there's the implication that he can walk away if he doesn't want to see her. But, yeah, having it more like him choosing to, to actually go in and see her, um, I think would have been better. Um, I, I do believe I looked at the broad, like, the Broadway musical, and I don't actually think that plot line happens in the... Really? In the musical version. I could be wrong. Um... But let like me, at all? Let me see. I didn't hate. I did not hate the like Barry being able to talk to Emma about their shared experiences of being kicked out of their house. Like I thought that that was really important as the the Broadway stars develop actual empathy for the girl that they have come to, you know, use for publicity. <laughs> um. I just was a little bit like, that's such a personal choice over whether or not he gets to forgive her. And once she's there in the physical space, like, what are you going to say? Yeah, and that's where I, I do think it did need to be more of an active decision of like, if you want to see her, she's here. But if you want to leave, that's fine too. You know, like yeah. um, I there, did just I did just double check. It is not in the musical at all. And there is also the very real fact that this is a musical, and on a lot of levels, even though it is based on um, an actual news event, uh, it's a fantasy world. <laughs> right. So part of me is also like everything wraps up neatly with a bow because that's what kind of story we're telling. And I honestly, I don't have it. I don't really have a problem with that. It was just kind of like, yeah. And it's, I, it's hard for me, like knowing, mm-hmm. knowing people who have not been able to repair their relationships with their parents because of their identities in some way. It's just like, uh, this was really easy and that feels I'm trying to decide if I thought that it felt not dismissive but like something more condescending than simply wish fulfillment yeah I think um, I think it was definitely too rushed and I, I think that if they wanted to go there I think A they could have they did not need to insert that his mom storyline like, if we did want to double down... Okay, backing up. I think... So, I think with that song that Trent sings to all of the classmates... What, uh, what's the name of that song again? It's got to be something like Love Thy Neighbor. Yeah, Love Thy Neighbor. That's it. I, I think the reason they want those storylines is to, like, fit into the theme of that song... I, I I think that having two is overcrowded and that if they really did want to 
like hammer home this message of like changing hearts and minds they should have picked one and really given it the time to develop uh sorry you're saying they should have picked one between what between the mothers picked either barry's mom or Alyssa's mom And see, now that you've said that, part of me is like, but that gives that gives the Broadway storyline another reason to exist. Oh, yeah. How would you felt if instead of Broadway actors, they had been the drama faculty at the high school? <laughs> part of me was kind of like, what if they were just already there and we didn't have to deal with... Like that extra, I don't know. It felt like there was, and I, I think it's just because I had such a strong reaction, negative reaction towards that opening number. I was like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I I think they need to be Broadway actors. I, I think it is making a very specific point about, I, I think it's making a point that I don't even know if you could achieve with film, maybe you could achieve with film actors, but I, I think it is saying something about celebrity and performative allyship. And, and I think it needs to be somebody famous swooping in into a situation they know nothing about. Like, I, I think that is too much of the the story's DNA. I, I think that and I think, honestly, that's where some of its smartest commentary comes in. This is not an angle I had considered before, so I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, so I think that, so for me, so one reason I think this film, while it was a lot, and it was a lot to digest, it overall really worked for me is, um, I am a, I mean, I'm a huge Broadway nerd. I pretty much exclusively listen to Broadway music. Like, I, I feel like, for me that really worked in terms of like the specificity of Broadway stars and of um, Broadway stars wanting to say things about social movements. Like I'm thinking about that time Mike Pence went to Hamilton. Like, like I think this falls into a tradition of Broadway stars doing activism. And I, I think that, and especially considering this musical came out in 2018, I, I think that it's really saying something about here is what happens when we try to help, but we're only trying to help performatively and only trying to help to enhance our own image because we want to be seen. Because I think it is something specific to, well, I, I think the same could be same could be said for, um, movie actors and television actors but I I think it's drawing on that culture of like celebrities wanting to be seen as being good people Mm -hmm. and um and in this case you know we can see that it's really self-serving and so I think it's a commentary on what happens when we have this self-serving performative allyship and and how that intersects with um you know, this young girl who really does need help and how in figuring out what this girl needs, these people actually learn to be less selfish and and to consider what others need rather than just what they want their image to be. I, I guess I had not been thinking about that as a core piece of the story, um, but I am also not as familiar with Broadway celebrity culture. So this is this is very informative for me right now. Yeah, and especially like thinking about, um, so looking at the original Broadway cast, there's some pretty big names on there. Um, and again, one of the weird things about like Broadway culture is it is a small like... Um, you know, it's kind of a smaller pool of actors. Um, so I think that, you know, they're they're making a lot of nods here to um, that culture. And 
I, I don't know why. The only example I'm thinking of is that time Mike Pence went to Hamilton. But, um, you know, I think that there are, like, various different, like, Broadway, Broadway actors have done, like, you know, um, oh my god, what are those called? Not, like, after school specials, but, like, PSA stuff. There's, like, a whole organization called Broadway Cares, I think. Hmm. Um... But yeah, it really, like, I, this is a very specific, yep, okay, yep, Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS, um, yeah, so that, um, yeah, it was the theater community's response to the HIV AIDS crisis. Um, yeah, so I, I think this is really making a commentary on this history of Broadway activism and, um, I, so I feel like that's part of, and I, I knew this as I watched, like, I think that's part of why I probably got more out of it than most people watching this movie, because it is very specific, um, and is... So do you, do you think that Ryan Murphy is being critical of that? I think that the authors who wrote the musical is absolutely... Sorry, are, yeah. Yeah, are the, absolutely being the critical of that. Of the, yeah, the architects of the original well, material. And, and the only reason... Sorry, that, that tone of voice was not what I intended. The only reason is that I, I don't know how much Brian Murphy is actually steeped in, in Broadway culture. I don't know if he spent time working on Broadway. Um, uh, he's from... Tele- he's He's been in television for a while. Okay. I don't know that he has... Um, that he's written for Broadway yeah just just glee okay (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah I I I think that the the authors and I think the authors of this musical have written a few other um big ones did they do next next to normal I'm trying to remember um anyway but um yeah I, I I think the authors of this musical you know really are Kind of steeping themselves in that performative activism culture of Broadway and are are making a commentary. And I, I, I think to, I mean, I think that you could take it out as specifically Broadway actors, but um, again, I, I think they're having this, they are using the medium of Broadway actors to have this commentary on celebrity and celebrity performative allyship and like what you know like kind of the image game that goes on and like being seen being good and what that means um in celebrity culture um so and I think um yeah, I, I, I think that they are critical of that. I think that they they do send that message of, like, the only reason these four actors come to actually, like, be, actually become helpful is when they actually sit and listen to Emma and talk to her and figure out what she actually needs. And there's a great scene early on with Principal Hawkins where he, you know, they come in swooping into this PTA meeting and he's like like, you guys, like, we're calling the ACLU. Like, we have this whole plan. And, like, what are you actually doing here? Um, like, how are you actually helping? Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that, yeah, I, I think that that arc of, like, you know, and, and that message of saying, like, you only really can help people once you listen to them. So my question for you is, do you think that the addition of the James Corden coming out storyline helps or hurts that initial message? Well, I think it's trying to go along with that idea of, like, you can change hearts and minds. And so I think it fits, again, like, I I think it's just trying to build on that song, Love Thy Neighbor, and... I don't know. I think, again, I think they could have used that time to do more, like, relationship rebuilding with Carrie Washington and her daughter. Like, I don't, I don't think they needed that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because my, my, now my thought is if the initial materials intent had been to be a criticism 
of this kind of performative allyship than having James Corden's character actually be deeply affected by a similar situation does kind of undercut the criticism there. But then again, Dee Dee still exists. So. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, and I I think they are trying to use that as like a point of commonality and a point at which he bonds with Emma. And I, from reading the musical synopsis, it sounds like he does talk about it. Um, well, and his relationship with Emma was so sweet. Yes. Um, their their song together while they're shopping is one of the highlights of the movie for me. Oh, by far. Um, so it is a little hard for me to be too critical of that relationship. Yeah, although I have seen, there was, I I did see there were quite a few critiques from queer communities about James Corden being cast, um, and, uh, in his performance, I, I do think that there, there has been a conversation about whether he was, um, you know, performing some stereotypes, um, So I know that has been a conversation that has been had about James Corden and his character in this movie. Yeah, and it's it's tricky because on the one hand, I am 100% in favor of casting more gay actors to play gay roles. Um, but the material kind of is what it is. So then my wonder, like, would we have this criticism regardless of who played the character? Like, is the is the problem with James Corden or is the problem with the material? Right. Right. And I think that's a good question to ask. I know I did see BuzzFeed had a whole listicle of other actors who could have played Barry and not going to lie. They listed Billy Eichner and I kind of would love to have seen Billy Eichner play this role. Um. And I did, I YouTubed, I was like, wait, can Billy Eichner sing? Because um, I have not seen that new version of The Lion King, so I actually had no oh, idea. neither have I. So I did YouTube, turns out Billy Eichner can sing. So oh, perfect. I, so, yeah. Yeah. We, we have another, we have another comedic actor who's actually gay and can sing. So, yeah, that's, an, that's an easy choice. Right? I know. <laughs> and so, and I actually had read all this and researched all this before watching the movie. So, not gonna lie, there were, like, multiple points where I was just like, this would just be better with Billy Eichner. Like, I was just, like, imagining how Billy Eichner would have played this role. So... Yeah, I think, I think what you said, like, it's a tricky, like, how much of that is coming from the source material, um, and, um, but yeah, but yeah, I, I, I think that they could have maybe made a better choice than James Corden, um, who is, I mean, he is, he is a presence. I, I think he does have a, a yeah. real stage presence. I thought he was fine, but also... Stop casting straight people to play gay characters. Yeah, exactly. Slash cast Billy Eichner and more things because he's the best. Also true. Yeah. Less, a lesson for us all. Cast Billy Eichner and more things. Um, I will tell you, I am endlessly thankful that part of the story of this movie was not Alyssa being publicly outed. Yeah. I I was really I was really happy that the movie did not feel the need to have some like she got to come out to her mom on her own um and like even though even though her friends see her with Emma like they don't tell anyone um that that I thought was something they could have done, uh, and I was glad that they didn't. Me too. I was yeah. I was glad that they let her do that on her own terms. Um, I enjoyed her song. Me too. About needing to be perfect, and so yeah. My my favorite moments of this movie were when Emma and Alyssa, basically the the stuff that was all like high school drama. Uh, I wept like a child at Emma's, uh, original song at the end when she streams herself playing the guitar. Oh, and that, that montage was very affecting. Yes. 
Yes, that montage absolutely worked. That was definitely one of the high high points of the movie. Uh, and I thought that that song was the perfect balance of like heartfelt and I believed that a high schooler had come up with that concept, <laughs> but it also didn't make me want to die. Like it wasn't, it could have been really overdone and I didn't think that it was. It actually, I thought came across as being very honest. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was a good balance of like the song was simple and clear enough that like, yep, a 17 year old definitely could have written that. But also, yeah, it, the lyric, like the, the lyricism was really good. Um, and as someone who wrote a lot of angsty teen poetry, I was like, yeah, I wish I had been able to write lyrics that good when I was 17. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, yeah. Another thing I deeply appreciated was that Keegan-Michael Key, as the principal, was a good guy. Oh, yes. Also, can we talk about that moment where he and Dee Dee are at Applebee's and he was like, yeah, I'm a 40-year-old guy who is interested in school administration and Broadway musicals who wants to date me. And I was like, oh, hello, excuse you. I was Like, say, all oh, of my friends. Of also, you look like Keegan-Michael Key, so. <laughs> yeah, I was no, like. Everything about that relationship made me happy. Um, I loved that we got uh, an older couple romance um i loved that he is like no i'm not gonna take your guff um like Dee, Dee is the one who has to figure herself out i don't know i that whole thing just really worked for me it really did and i and i think again it kind of circles back to that theme that i think is going on here through both like all the relationship with emma but then also through Dee Dee's relationship with principal hawkins is that idea I, th I think it helps hit home that idea like they keep going back to of like the only way to authentically help someone is to listen and is to actually build a relationship um so i think it also works on that level thematically to mm -hmm. have that romance there and I also, oh, sorry. I was going to say, and it doesn't hurt that Keegan-Michael Key is real attractive. Mm -hmm. I deeply loved the exchange he has uh, with Meryl Streep when she's like, you're not really my usual demographic. And he says black and she says straight. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Um, and I did, I really liked that number that we saw, like those moments where we saw her actually like perform on stage. Like it's like his flashback to her being on stage and, you know, being Patty Lapone, Bernadette Peters. And mm -hmm. yeah, and that's going back to the beginning of our conversation. Like I think if the film had had more moments like that, that would have would have helped build that sense of theatricality. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that that was definitely a highlight of the movie. Uh let us discuss really quick let us get shallow and discuss really quick the costuming in this movie oh i wanted all the clothes like all of them <laughs> can they be in my closet now please and thank you um i i really loved that you could look at the clothing and be like a dance number is about to break out <laughs> <laughs> all of the prom dresses were short which i mean they were all beautiful but also they were all short so that they could you know do that choreography <laughs> i know i did have a moment where i thought i was like are short prom dresses like the thing now like back in my day of high school it was like i think long dresses were really in but i was like oh is this the trend now and then i was like oh no they need to dance that's what's happening here yeah my when i was a senior i wore a long dress because i was really um self-conscious about my legs but the thing that I remember being very in when I was a senior were those dresses that had the, sh the like, knee length or shorter skirt and then the streamers that were floor length that oh. kind of looked like seaweed or, like, jellyfish. That was a very big trend for prom dresses when, when I was a senior. Okay. I don't know if I remember that one. For oh. us, it was, like, the big floofy, like, tool dresses. Yeah, we didn't really we didn't really get those. We were like floor length and like sheath, floor length sheathy dresses. Okay. 
Um, there was one company that sold a lot of dresses that were sort of slightly fishtailed at the end and they were black and they had different colored flower um, embroidery on them. My junior prom dress was a black halter top with white flowers that had like three or four different variations um, that I saw other girls wearing. Um, but yeah, there, there were not a lot of big ball gowns. Yeah, I, yeah, my, my junior dress was like a big old tool. Well, actually, maybe it wasn't tool, maybe it was netting. It was a big old floofy dress. And then my senior year, it was like, I had like an empire waist. I called it my Elizabeth Bennett dress. I used it one year in college to dress up to be Elizabeth Bennett vampire hunter. Nice. That was a good dress. Um. Yeah, I liked that the I liked that the costuming was very clearly a what are the children wearing these days? Although I I will say that it was less what are the children wearing these days and what were the children wearing mid 2000s? It felt it felt very slightly dated for me, but in a way that also felt very true to like, oh, middle of nowhere Indiana. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, cuz it's like yeah, because those were probably prime edgy styles like four years ago, which it mm-hmm. makes sense that it would take some time for those to filter down. And also, I just appreciated that the Broadway stars were just always in sequence all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this movie definitely gets an A plus on sequinage. I'm pretty sure they kept several sequin factories in production. Not mad about it. Me either. I love a good sequin. Oh, yeah. A well-deployed sequin? Very good. Anything else we want to touch on? I, again, I feel like we're missing something just because there was so much to this movie. But I can't think of anything immediately that we did not touch on. Um, yeah, this movie was a lot. I definitely... Watched it in two settings. Um, because I started it really late and was like, "Oh, I need to go to bed now." And then <laughs> I like laid awake for a long time. I should have just finished it because I laid awake for a long time. Because like the residual energy of watching half of this movie stayed with me. Um, I I really I wish that I had liked the music better. Hmm. Are you, sorry, I can't remember. Are you someone who does listen to quite a few Broadway musicals? Or I know you have a few favored ones that we have, we have talked extensively about, but. Yeah, I have, I, I'm definitely a musical theater appreciator. Um, I, I don't, um, every, I, I don't spend a whole lot of time seeking out new ones. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, I mean, I, I loved Hades Town so much I went to New York City to see it. Um, oh, Hayes Town's great. I recently have very much enjoyed Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief and also Dear Evan Hansen. Oh, yeah. I um, don't think I've listened to the Percy Jackson one. It's fun. I had very low expectations because I was like, this could either be really good or really terrible. Um, and then an author that I quite like on Twitter was a huge fan. So I was like, well, I can I can listen to the music. I don't know when I'll get to see it. Um but yeah, it's 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 really good. It's funny. It's funny okay. in a way that I wasn't expecting it to be. Um, but that I think it kind of needs to. I don't know how familiar you are with those books. Not really. I was. I mean, obviously, as someone who used to work in more services, you services hello. Um, I I definitely know what they are, but I was just slightly too. Like, they hit slightly after my generation. I think I was a few years too old to get into them. Sure. I read them all as an adult. Um, I, I actually, I read them all during my first job as a youth services assistant, and I loved them quite a bit. Um, and I think that the the material got adapted quite cleverly as a as a stage musical. Great. Um, but yeah, and then I have my, my perennial, like, 
Secret Garden, eternal favorite. Um, I was discussing Fiddler on the Roof with someone the other day, which is a show that I have never seen, but used to reenact the soundtrack with Beanie Babies Aww. as the characters. Um, so I got very deeply into that one. Uh, no, but I will be the first to admit that my knowledge of modern musical theater is pretty lacking. Well, and I, so the, so the reason I ask is just, I, I feel like there's kind of a spectrum of folks. So, okay. The reason I ask is this, I feel like there are folks like Pete who like, they have a few musicals that really work for them and they're into them. Um, and then there are folks that like, like quite a few musicals, but don't, um, you know, have, have a little more that they gravitate to. And I feel like this musical is written for, for people who are super into musicals. So I, I feel like a lot of these, this music worked for me because this is the type of music I like. So I, I, I don't think, so I totally recognize, sorry, this is all I'll say. I recognize that this is like, this is very Broadway, Broadway music, and it's not particularly innovative. And so I, I think it works for me because this is the music I listen to, but I totally get why it would not work for other folks. Like, I think that this is not a like genius of, you know, um, (laughs) well, and I, I wonder if, because I don't listen to more musical theater, I didn't clock that. So like, it could be that my preference for Broadway is the stuff that has more of a pop or a rock uh, DNA, which and yeah. that that is just different in a way that I'm not knowledgeable enough about musical theater to be able to vocalize. Well, and I think too, again, like this is this is music that is, again, this is like a very this is like leaning very heavily into, like, new kind of poppy, but not quite pop, like. Yeah, so I I totally get why this would not be some folks' cup of tea. Um, and it, and um, yeah, that yeah. Oh, sorry. This oh. actually brings me to my one other point that I was gonna say. What this movie does show me, though, and I don't take credit for this take. This is definitely a tweet I saw when the Hamilton music music mu- musical movie came out but one thing this movie does also tell me is that Broadway musicals should be more accessible and should be taped and shown more often like so people don't have to fly to New York to see them yes so please do yes. this for Hadestown please do yeah. this please for, for other musicals please do this for Natasha and Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 I would like give you so much money to please just do that for me like I would pay a hard hundred dollars just to be able to rent a a videotape production of that show like yeah that is my that is my main takeaway Broadway musicals should be more accessible now is the there is no excuse now well I mean except for COVID filming restrictions but like people can't go to Broadway bring Broadway to people correct I agree absolutely would we recommend this movie? I would recommend this movie with the caveat of if you like musical theater, this movie will be fun. If musical theater is not your jam, this movie probably won't be your jam. <laughs> I actually, would you? I would. I would. Um, I'm a big fan of a big movie musical. Um, and there are a lot of ways in which I hope that this movie is successful enough that we get more... Um, like turn more musicals into movies, make more movie musicals. I, I am, yeah, just a big fan of a big, um, you know, over the top, overly dramatic spectacle of a, of a musical. So yeah, make more of them. Watch this one. It was fun. It has a lot, it has a lot to recommend it, even if you're not, um, a Broadway person. I think if you are a musical person in general, I, I think this one is worth a watch. Yeah. And I totally agree with you. I hope this spurs more. I feel like we got a plethora. I feel like we were in, there was a wealth of movie musicals made in like the, the aughts and it has just died off. And can we bring that back, please? How long have people been wailing 
for them to make a Wicked movie. Oh, so long. It is wild. It is wild to me that no one has made that a movie yet. I feel like there was talk of that happening, like, when I went to see Wicked in Chicago. Like, my college roommates and I packed up into a car, drove the eight and a half hours from the Twin Cities to see Chicago, and I remember along that drive, there and back, I remember us talking about, like, but would they make a movie, maybe? And this was, like, 2008. Like, yeah. <sighs> so, yes. Turn more turn more musicals into movies, and when you do it, keep your cinematic options open. Well said. What would you recommend to our listeners as a companion for the prom? So, I am leaning hardcore into just musical cast recordings and so i am going to for the first time actually recommend a cd um rather yeah, than a, a book or a movie and this is one of those i would like to will it so to become a, a movie <laughs> musical um but i'm gonna recommend that folks listen to the original broadway cast recording six um it has a very similar musical sensibility in terms of like a kind of poppy um a lot of ballads. Um, so in that sense, like the music and it remind me a bit of the prom. Um, but the, the plot of six is that it is a retelling of history from the perspective of the wives of Henry the eighth. Um, this it's so good, Martha. It's so good. When my sister and I were in New York to see Hades town, we looked up to see what other ticket lotteries we could enter just while we were there. And we had just missed six. So we couldn't, uh, we couldn't enter a lotto for that one. Yeah. It is so good. Um, yeah. Each of the wives gets a, gets a solo. Um, and then there are a couple of numbers where they all come together. Um, and they can retell kind of the standard narrative of history from their perspective um it's fabulous please make a movie of it <laughs> please um yeah so yeah the broadway musical six martha what would right. you recommend i would recommend a middle grade book by tim fetterly called better nate than ever which is about nate foster a 13 year old kid who dreams of being on broadway so Without telling his parents where he's going, he buys a bus ticket from Jankburg, Pennsylvania to New York City uh, and is going there for an audition to be, he's going for an open casting call for E.T. the Musical. Uh, and it is about his adventures in the big city and his experiences with the audition and what uh, what does or does not happen to Nate. Uh, it is wholly charming nate is a phenomenal character uh and it deals with a lot of these questions um from the the broadway cast in prom about like being a kid with big dreams and where you come from and how you get your start and what happens to you after you are successful uh it is just a very sweet look at a kid with a big dream oh <laughs> Um, that is going to do it for us today. Uh, if you would like more of our show, you can follow us on all of our social media feeds that we share with our sister show. Did you do your homework? Uh, we are at DYDYH podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you should also listen to our sister show. Did you do your homework? It releases on the same feed on alternating Wednesdays. Uh, and I host that with Marin's husband, Pete. If you would like to follow me personally on social media, you can find me on all the places at Magical Martha. Uh, Marin, where can people find you if they would like to keep up with you? Yeah, they can find me on Twitter at A underscore star underscore danced, um, where I tweet a lot about romance novels and rom-coms um, and the state of Minnesota. Fantastic. We will be back in two weeks to discuss the Netflix original. What movie did we decide on? Oh, uh, <laughs> love, love guaranteed. Love guaranteed. 
Uh, so check us out then. Uh, and until then, just remember that we love you. Fantastic. I feel good about that. Me too. And especially since there was so much to untangle there. <laughs> there really was, but I feel like we did a good job. I think we did.